Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sunday's edition of Blog Talk Radio. This is Adriel Hampton, your host tonight. Uh, tonight, our guest is Nick Charney, a Canadian public servant in the knowledge management arena and a avid advocate of Government 2.0 in Canadian public service and governance and blogger uh, on Canadian public service renewal. And Nick is going to be joining us because uh, he's got uh, a little bit of uh, loss of voice from doing a lot of conferences this week, but uh, we're excited to have Nick on. Uh, my co-host Steve uh, Lunsford and Steve Bressler are not with us tonight, uh, so I will be uh, going solo for a minute here. Uh, big news of the week uh, is, uh, golly, probably everybody's talking about the uh, Barack Obama uh, Nobel Peace Prize, uh, and uh, also uh, GovLoop this week passed 20,000 uh, members. That was a pretty cool thing. So that site continues to grow and uh, continues to be a great resource for uh, government innovators and collaborators. Uh, we're also expecting later this month to have the uh, Open Government Directive, and we'll hopefully have a show on that uh, on November 1st uh, about an unconference around the Open Government Directive. Uh, we're also uh, having uh, Scott Horvath, uh, who is a, a developer for the uh, UGS. Uh, he'll be with us next week. And then on November 15th, we have a very special guest, uh, Bill Eggers, uh, author of the 2005 book, Government 2.0. And also, uh, Bill Eggers has a new book coming out uh, called If We Can Put a Man on the Moon. And uh, excited to talk about to uh, Bill Eggers and his co-author on the 15th about uh, that uh, new book and uh, where he sees uh, government going. I have uh, Nick Charney with us, and I'm going to go ahead and bring him on the air. Hey, Nick, uh, thanks for calling in. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Sure. So it's just it's just you and I holding down the show for 45 minutes here. So I'm oh, glad really? You, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you called before too late. Um, uh, Steve uh, and Steve uh, weren't able to make it tonight. Okay. Um, um, two things, if I can start. One, just say Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in Canada because it's Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend. And and two, if uh, if I lose my voice, I'm really sorry. I just uh, went across Western Canada doing uh, four talks in three cities, so I'm a little bit worse for the wear, but I'm happy to be here. Okay, well, don't worry about projecting too much because you're uh, sounding uh, fine. Spare your voice. Perfect. The two of us have to fill <laughs> most of the time. I also uh, have um, uh, opened it up for calls. If folks want to call in, the number to do so is three four seven five three nine. Five seven zero four. We'll be on air uh, until about uh, 45 minutes past the hour. And if anyone wants to call in with questions for Nick or I or to make a comment, uh, they're welcome to. So that uh, line will be open. Uh, you can also ask questions through Twitter. Uh, Nick is uh, at Nick Charney, C-H-A-R-N-E-Y, and I am uh, Adriel Hampton, A-D-R-I-E-L. And Nick, first, why don't you just Give us a little bit about your background, what you do uh, for Government of Canada, and, and how you came to be interested in Government 2.0. Yeah, sure. I actually uh, 
I work for Indian and Northern Affairs Canada, where I'm a, a project manager there. And so my actually substantive role is to uh, help the department use uh, collaborative technologies to kind of get people talking and working better together. And so my background is actually in organizational management. And I happened into the Web 2.0 stuff uh, when I started trying to share a bit of my stories on, on the blog. And it all kind of came together very nicely within the last year. And it actually one of the one of the talks that I've been giving is how you really need to be tenacious in the government. Because when I started, I was doing something that was completely unrelated to, uh, to my passions, my interests, and my background. And I found a way to align those things. And now I'm, I'm very happy to come in every day and, and get people excited about working with these tools and working uh, together. That's great. And what, what kind of background did you have before you uh, joined public service? I was, a, uh, I was a private sector guy for seven years while I went through, uh, through university. So I worked uh, as a frontline client service rep uh, for hotels, so for the Delta Hotel chain, for the Fairmont Hotel chain. And then I actually worked for an NHL hockey team for about eight months. And uh, one of the things I found that was really lacking when I came into the public service was that high level of, of client service that you use with everyone. Uh, in private in private business, and I felt like we weren't treating each other in the same way, so I brought a lot of that, I feel anyway, into the public service, and, and I try and treat people like I did back then, and it's really done a lot for me. Yeah, that's great. I, I know sometimes uh, I've been in the public sector for about four and a half years after uh, starting uh, my professional career as a journalist and working in journalism for seven years, and uh, one of the things definitely in, in government, it seems like there's less... Uh, less thank yous. Uh, it's kind of like people can uh, maybe sometimes take each other for granted. And I know that, uh, it, that we're all people and uh, there's actually a fairly uh, significant reaction when you really treat people well in the government context. Yeah, it, it's, um, uh, it's really surprising what you can get done. And I mean, my, my biggest pet peeve when I first started was something that I just really didn't understand, actually. It was, you know, you'd call someone and, and you'd get a response like, well, that's not my job. And then you would never talk to that person again. And, and from the business I came from, you know, if anyone called you, you would take ownership over everything. And you'd say, you know what, you would apologize first and say, that's not really my area of expertise. But you know what, I'm going to find someone who is. And by the way, my name is Nick. If you need to talk to me again, feel free. I'm here for you. I'm going to own this until we see it all the way through. And that's the kind of service that I want to see us kind of, the way I want us to treat each other in the public service. And I think it's going to just do, move, move mountains within the public service. And what kind of, uh, of tools are you using in uh, your work to, to create a collaborative work we're, um, we're We're an interesting um, case because we actually, our department has to collaborate with stakeholders uh, across a bunch of government sectors. So we're using the federal uh, public service-wide wiki. So it's a tool called GCpedia, and it's a, it's a media wiki install that's available across any federal public servant in government. And uh, we also have a social networking pilot based on the ELGG open source software as well that's open across government. So a lot of the departments are actually building their own social media tools and their own collaborative infrastructures, which I think almost defeats some of the purpose when you can get everyone together in, in one sandbox kind of to play together. There's a lot of fear, actually, about bringing people together into one place. You fear of bringing people from other agencies in? Or yeah, yeah, really, really even see what you're doing. No, well, internally there's some fear there, but I think the, the real big one is across agencies. People understand that they can share within their own agency, but as soon as you start to move outside of that, people are really reticent to start sharing. And I think there's a lot of assumptions there. I mean, one is that in this kind of social environment where there's so much information, one, people are going to have to look for what it is you're sharing. They're not just going to find it. They have to look for it. So that means they have an interest. 
And two, they're going to take the time to read it. Everyone's very busy. They may find it and not actually take the time to read it. And then three, if after they read it, maybe they're actually going to edit your content. And then the, the underlying presupposition there is that if they actually edit your content, they might make it worse. Well, you know what? I actually have evidence to, sh to, to show that it actually makes it better. Um, I put up a, a document inside that wiki a year ago, and uh, it had 2,000 views uh, and only four edits. Now, that's not a large amount of edits, and I've actually invited people to edit it. Every time I speak to a group of people, I say, you know what, this paper is here for you, and I want to learn from you. And I just wanted to say what the four edits were. Um, uh, the other thing that is interesting to note is that I know those four people by name and by face, and I've shaken their hands and I've looked them in the eyes. Um, so there's a comfort level thing as well when it comes to kind of collaborating across uh, with people's work. But the four edits, one person added a category to it to make it more findable, so that added some value to, to my document. Another person fixed a grammatical mistake. Uh, that added some value. Someone added uh, a link that I had omitted, so that was value there. And then someone added two bullet points that I totally forgot. So, I mean, every edit that was made added value to what I was doing. Do you think that uh, on, the, on the flip side there may be people afraid of sharing their content because maybe someone makes it better and, and they feel like that uh, puts them in a bad light? It, it, it might. I mean, I, I think that actually one of the things that we never talk about with, with social media tools, especially in government, is that it exposes a couple things. It's going to expose your really strong individuals who can really work in this environment, and it's going to expose the weaknesses too because you're going to be able to look at what people are contributing or not contributing in these open environments, and you're going to see where both your strengths and deficiencies are. And then the trick is then, of course, to deal with the deficiencies, which you know bureaucracies have a lot of trouble doing with, dealing with yeah. uh, historically. Yeah, I know one of the one of the things is that it really exposes who who can who talks the talk and who walks the walk. Because if you're in Absolutely. an agency, or I know in in uh, even private sector agencies that have deployed wikis, you can actually see how much time somebody is spending either putting putting new things on there or contributing to what's already there, and it, it kind of. Uh, uh, you know, it's worse almost than looking at someone's time card because you're actually seeing the substantive contributions they're making. Absolutely, and people aren't used to doing that, and managers aren't used to managing on that. And I, I feel really, uh, I really do feel for middle managers in the public service because they they take a lot of flack, and and sometimes I'm the one that gives it to them. But I usually I usually preface it by saying that you know they're in the toughest position because they have a lot of people under them that want a lot of things. You know, new hires they they're they want the opportunities, they want the resources. And then senior managers really kind of give, um, you know, motherhood and apple pie statements kind of things to the middle managers and want them to operationalize this. Well, that puts the middle manager in a really tough position because they're dealing with abstract on the top and very specific demands on the bottom. And we need to give them a little bit more credit and maybe more support so they can actually actualize some of those demands. Tell me about the Canadian uh, Public Service Renewal blog, and for listeners, that's cpsrenewal.ca. Now, that's a, a, an independent project that you uh, took on yourself? Absolutely. Uh, it started about a year ago, and um, when I first, I've been in the public service for just over three years, and um, the, the head of the public service, which is, he's called the clerk of the Privy Council here um, in Canada, they, they were talking about public service renewal in a lot of HR action plans and documents, and it wasn't something that really spoke to me. Like there was, there were some inspirational messages there, but I couldn't find what I was really looking for. And then I forget what it was, but there was a presentation somewhere where he basically came out and said, you know, we want you to participate in renewal. You need to own it. So I thought, what better way to try and own it than try and share some of the stories um, via the blog? So what we actually started doing was um, 
I sat down with uh, a good friend of mine who's also the godfather of, of my daughter, and he's a fellow uh, public servant, and I said, you know, we should start some kind of blog. And, and the original vision was something akin to like a life hacker uh, website where, you know, multiple public servants could just post things and you could start having discussions. And what eventually got settled on was me writing content and uh, my fellow public servant providing editorial services. So uh, it's been good. We take a lot of care in what we write because there's apparently a lot of uh, inherent risk there. Uh, of You know, some people really like what I'm doing and some people are waiting for me to fall flat on my face. So uh, it's a challenge, but uh, it's very interesting. And I've been able to rally uh, a very good and lively community and debate in those areas. And it's not the only place that's, uh, that, that it's going on. I mean, these, these discussions are happening elsewhere, too. I mean, it's happening on sites like LinkedIn and, and more now on GovLoop because it's specifically for a, a government audience. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm seeing you've got this, uh, you actually have a white paper called Scheming Virtuously, which is a great slogan. Yeah. Did that, yeah, that kind of come along right at the beginning of the blog or before the blog? Uh, it came about probably halfway through, and what I ended up doing was uh, I was invited to sit on a on a panel uh, that discussed leadership and governance with a with a professor emeritus at Ottawa University named uh, Gilles Paquette, and he talks about scheming virtuously in in his um, in his books and in his in his lectures. And and what I found that he was talking about was actually what I was doing, but I had didn't have a name for it. And all it really is is it's about using your position to influence decision-making. So you can do this anywhere in the organization. And we're actually trying to do an update to the white paper, um, hopefully soon. I mean, I have it with Mike, the editor, to, to do a first crack. And uh, it really is just aimed at trying to help people kind of get over the, you know, I can't do it. I can't make change. I can't be, uh, you know, a, a positive voice here. or The system really slows me down. And it's, it's uh, just meant to give you a principle and some ways to actualize that. And People have really related to it. It's, it's spun off into a live presentation that people seem to enjoy, and they get really jazzed up about, you know, wait a minute, maybe I can do this. And for me, that's one of the biggest messages I try and bring is, you know what, yeah, you can. You know, don't listen to the people who tell you you can't. Find the people who tell you, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we have a, a caller on the air. I'm going to take uh, this uh, a caller from uh, the area code 508. Uh, caller, who's this? Are you calling in with a question or no? Uh, yeah, this is Steve Buckley. Um, Hi, Steve. Hi. Uh, you Steve. emailed me. Do you have a, a question for uh, for Nick or for myself, or you want to make a comment? Okay. I, I, I was just listening because I couldn't get the uh, Internet to work, and I thought I was supposed to push one, so I thought I was just lurking here. But since you put ah, on the- okay. <laughs> well, you're welcome to lurk, or you're welcome to make a comment. Well, actually, um, I, I, I was thinking of... Uh, I do have a comment, I guess, uh, about the idea that middle managers are between a rock and a hard place. You have the yeah, uh, go ahead. You have the upper upper uh, managers with the rhetoric and the apple pie, and you know all the. And rhetoric. I mean that's a, that's a, that, it's a generalization. It's not entirely yeah. true, but I I, I do yeah. feel for them. Yeah. No. No. I, I agree. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're between. They're in the middle spot to try to translate the. Uh, the rhetoric into practice. So yeah. I, I do agree that they're in the, they're they're in a, a rough spot there. And mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, um, the comment uh, I, I believe you just made about go look for people who can help you do what you need, what you want to do. It's like mm-hmm. well, you can't pick your own boss. And at the end of the day, or at the end of the year, 
that's the person who's going to be sitting down with your performance appraisal, deciding whether or not you get a promotion or whether you keep your job. Yeah. So the idea that 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 bureaucrats can just uh, shop for patrons, you know, it's it's, it's a nice thought, but it's. The system is not set up. There's only one person who does your performance appraisal, and 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 I hear this, you know, just do it stuff coming out of Washington D.C. It's like, well, you you are constrained by who you work for. So it would be nice, you know, somebody at the uh, White House might say something like, "Oh yeah, go do it," and so forth. But if you get a bad performance appraisal, you're not going to call the White House and complain about it. So that's just a thought I had. That yeah. little. Uh, don't we be no, it, it, it is difficult. It's very difficult. And, and I mean, yeah, you can't entirely shop around for, for your boss. But, I mean, I've, I've told myself that I will now never take a job with someone that I don't know. And I don't know what their, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and, and what the actual substantive work would be. And there are ways to kind of, you know, gather intelligence before you decide to make a move. But you're quite right. In the, in the end, someone is going to eventually uh, evaluate your performance. And you're going to have to live with that with that person. So the trick is to find a way to use your position uh, to influence even the person who might be reticent to make those decisions. And I've actually found that a really good way to do that is uh, use the fear of being last. Um, no one really wants to be first in the, in in the public service because there's a lot of risk there. But I think there's actually a lot more risk in being last. And if you can find a way to to pr- place pressure on, on decision makers, um, not only from below, but from, from the side with the impetus that, you know what, this is so good that maybe we're going to advance this beyond you. Um, there's some fear there because they don't want to be the last one to act. And you may be able to find a way to motivate that decision maker in a way that you didn't think was possible before. Oh, yeah. Well, you can use the, but that only works, the don't want to be last uh, fear when yeah. 50 to 60 to 70 percent have already done it. That then they realize, oh, yeah, but we're yeah. not at the 50, 60, 70. We're at the 10, 20, 30. Yeah, and I'm going to, um, Steve, I'm going to leave you uh, on the line and take you off the air. Um, and if you have any other comments, just uh, I think you just press 1 on your um, okay your your dial there, and it will let you know, uh, let me know. If anyone else wants to call in, the number is uh, 347 Five three nine five seven zero four. Stephen, thanks so much for uh, for calling in and for listening to tonight's show. And yeah, uh, hopefully, we'll uh, talk to you again in the future. Um, on on that uh, point, uh, Nick, that Stephen just made about the the adoption rate. Yeah. Uh, I've been you reading want to talk some hype cycle. Yeah, let's talk hype cycle because I've seen yeah. you know I mean I mean. The whole government 2.0 meme is so hyped that I'm almost embarrassed to, to use it at this point. But in Canada, I, I understand it's 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 uh, you guys are not as far along. And in- no, it's really. Um, I mean, Obama came in and did did a lot for uh, for you guys to push that hype. And I I mean, I'm a little bit reticent to talk politics, but we don't have the same kind of. Uh, the same kind of uh, view, I think, from, from the top in terms of, of leadership here um, in pushing these things forward. Um, so it's, the, impetus, in, the impetus is a little bit different. Um, and there's been a lot of great writing, actually, um, on, the, uh, on David Eves' blog, which is eves.ca, and on Peter Smith's blog, which is spaghettitesting.ca, um, in response to um, some of the stuff on the, the Gartner blog by Andrea DeMaio uh, about the hype cycle, and I would encourage people to read all of those. Maybe we can throw the links up somewhere where people can have a look after. Um, but we're really not there. We, we're not even at the peak yet in Canada, and I think you guys are there uh, in the United States. 
and I'm gonna, if I remember the premise correctly of the Gardner blog, it's, it's basically once you reach the peak of, of the hype, then you go into a trough of uh, maybe, the trough uh, of disillusionment, yeah. The trough of disillusionment, yeah. Uh, and then once you bought them out, then then the real work starts getting done, or or the real change starts happening. Absolutely, but, and and one of the really interesting things um, on the Eve's piece is that he puts email over on the plateaus of productivity, and yet Twitter is kind of on the is being ridiculed and is kind of going up on the hype cycle. And I think it's really true, but I actually find that my use of Twitter is far more efficient and does way more for my work than my use of email does. I can get answers much more quickly using Twitter on something or find a resource or a link than I ever could sending out a blast email to people. Um, and I think as more people kind of figure out that there's a lot of really good uh, value in using these tools, then these things are going to start to shift much faster through the curve, uh, which is going to be really important. And. How do, how do you find that? Do you, I know there's always the thing with a blast email that everyone figures that someone else will answer the uh, the question or someone else will respond. Uh, why do you think on Twitter that there's there's still or maybe it's because it's newer that people still feel oh I can respond to this instead of even though they know that you might have several hundred people that are reading that. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I think it might be the amount of people that do it, the people that kind of just search for keywords that are willing to. Uh, you know, to help answer a question. I, I really don't have a, a good feel on why it is, but I know that the success rate has been much higher. Uh, maybe it's a mass thing. You know, there's a critical mass there that it's a lot easier to get one response out of 1,000 people following you than it is to send an email to 20 people who are, who are close. Um, I'm not really sure, unfortunately, but, it, it, but it's working, and that, I think that's what the important part is. And maybe it's just the, the fact that it's limited to 140 characters. So, you know, you don't need to give me a lot of answers. You just need to send me the link, and I understand that. I don't need to spend half an hour crafting an email to someone. And the other th reason, actually, I think maybe it works is that the emails that you're crafting are usually to people in your organization where there's a formal relationship with. And when I send a message to people on Twitter, it's very informal, so I'm not worried about using the right words all the time. It's about communicating quickly uh, in a short burst and getting the information you need not about pleasantries and, you know, those types of exchanges. I, I like the 140 characters thing, just uh, the way you put it as far as uh, being someone who used to write long emails. Yeah. Uh, and and someone told me, you know, people only read the first couple of sentences, and uh, on Twitter you're forced to actually reduce those. So maybe I'm even getting better responses to my email now or, or getting points across more clearly. Because, yeah. uh, you know, everybody's busy, and even if they want to help, they probably don't want to read your email if it takes 10 minutes. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I would rather quickly scan through, through some tweets than read a uh, five-paragraph email. By the time I'm done, I forget why I was reading in the first place. <laughs> oh, no. oh, and also, there may be not the actionable uh, uh, communication there. I think when you're forced to be very brief, you're going, okay, what is my point, and how can I move this conversation along? Whereas Absolutely. email sometimes can, can become meandering. And maybe that's just, uh, you know, some of the, the function of Twitter being newer, uh, but it does seem to, to have a, a nature of immediacy, even though, you, you know, you might not get answered right away. You might get answered mm -hmm. a couple hours later sometimes. But uh, you, usually uh, you're looking at moving a conversation along very quickly. And that ability to, to or the culture of linking the content that you're trying to share very quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, one of the biggest mistakes that people make with with Twitter, though, is that they think it is, it's instant communication that's two-way. 
And it's really not. I mean, I get a lot of people responding to tweets or direct messages a week later, and I, I'm forced to look up what it is re in response to because I really don't know anymore what it was. So there's really not that, uh, that asynchronous behavior that people actually expect on Twitter. So you have to be a little bit careful. You can kind of see who, who's using Twitter a lot and who's not by, you know, the delay between you getting a response back, sending somebody a message. And I actually like that, that function of it once you get used to it and once you learn how to sort out what someone's actually responding to because when someone asks you something, you're not, it's not like you're sitting there and you, and, and you have to answer instantly. It's not like a chat, like an online yeah. chat, which I think a lot of people, you know, there's a fair amount of people who treat it like that. It's like an old AOL message board mm -hmm. but, um, or, or the online chats that are, that are real time. But being able to take a question, think about it, when you have time, sit down and type out a response that takes a couple of minutes, it actually is a, a pretty rich form of communication because you're, uh, it, it, it's fairly quick, but it doesn't have to be instantaneous. You're able to uh, collect your thoughts. I, I, I really enjoyed your uh, blog post about how you uh, use a few different tools. I guess it was Yahoo Pipes and uh, Yeah, that Google was pretty rankings. intensive to do it. And uh, there was uh, some talk about them actually, about Twitter changing how the retweets were going to work. And uh, if they actually make that change to the API, my strategy is gone um, because it relies on people actually physically putting in the RT into the retweet. Ah, and it's, it's, it's okay. a really useful way to, to connect with the community because I actually don't spend time looking for research anymore. I've found the ways that, that, um, that the community is tagging their information and sharing it. And so now... People who are really interested, say, in knowledge management, for example, something that I used to work in and still have an interest in, um, I'm just connected that, to that community through a series of, of social media tools that allows me to get to the most current thinking going on in that community without spending a lot of time on trying to figure out who exactly those thinkers are. And that's great for me. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people can use that kind of research strategy. And for folks who, uh, who haven't read this, this blog post I tweeted out, uh, I think, last weekend, uh, it's it's on the top uh, left side of your... Uh, yeah, it's one of the most popular. Okay. It's um, how I use Twitter to be a better public servant. And then the other one is... Uh, oh, or sorry, it's uh, how, I, how do I do research on Government 2.0 using social media. And then another really popular one was actually uh, how I use Twitter to be a better public servant, which was mostly about connecting with those communities. And then the follow-up one was actually getting the research that they're doing. And one of the examples that I, that I like to use is that I came across a, a, a knowledge management conference in Copenhagen that I would have never found otherwise, but it got tweeted and retweeted so much by people that I don't follow on Twitter, but I caught it uh -huh. using my research strategy. Um, they posted about 250 discussion papers online on knowledge management, all in PDFs. Wow. All, all with abstracts that I could read. I, I drew down 20, I spent a day looking through them all, and I drew down 25, and then I did some real uh, concerted research efforts on those 25, but I would never have been able to find those things. Uh, had I not had this strategy deployed out there. And once you set it up, it's passive. It just captures everything that's going on. So, and what you did was you took, uh, you'd start with Twitter, and there might be hundreds of, of links with a tag or, or hundreds of posts with a tag that you're interested in. And yeah, then you filtered it through Yahoo Pipes and then uh, Firefox, the Firefox and the extension with the post rank, rank extension. Yeah. yeah. And so I rely and on post rank really heavily as well, which is a great service. It, it ranks things based on. Uh, other people's social interaction with it on the web. So basically the premise is that if people aren't interacting with it, it's probably not uh, important enough for you to read, right? So if people aren't tweeting it, if they're not 
uh, commenting on it, if they're not emailing it around, clicking it through on their Google Reader, these types of things, then it, it's really not popular enough that you need to read it. But the minute that it gets kind of some of that viral attention because there's a lot of people interacting with it, it pops up through PostRank filtering as one of the top things, and you know right away that that's something you need to read. And uh, and it shows how you narrowed everything down to three three posts for yeah, a particular from, exercise or for a period. Yeah, uh, I, I felt that showing that uh, that that drilling down was really important because you could just kind of say, well, you know, you got there, but how did I actually get there? I went from 250 items uh, to three, and like I said, it's a passive system once it's set up. So that's real value uh, in using social media to to do a better job in what I was doing, which and what I was doing was knowledge management for a, a huge department. And I guess one thing that's that's real interesting about that exercise is, to some extent, you're you're creating your own uh, media channel, and instead of having, uh, you know, it's it's funny nowadays if you go to, you know, your local uh, or your metropolitan newspaper, and you go to something like a big news aggregator like CNN uh, or uh, one of the popular uh, aggregation sites, or maybe you go to Dig. A lot of the stuff getting filtered up can be fairly uh, irrelevant, or you know, Twitter too. It might be about celebrities, or they got some kind of bizarre story that's that's making the rounds yeah, all over the place. Like when the word "nice" is is uh, uh, on Twitter as a as trending topic, right? Like the, the word "which" nice, like yeah. just the word "nice," and you're like, well, okay, and it's like a spread out with like a hundred e's or something on it, and you know, you're looking at that going, well, that's not value. There's no value there. But this is specifically targeted at getting exactly what you're interested in. So as long as you can find the hashtag for the community, um, and as long as that community is using that tag to, to create some metadata on, on their tweets, then it's, you can find it easily. Um, and one of the really good things for me is that you're filtering out things without links in them. right? I don't want to just hear what someone tweeted about knowledge management. I want to see the link to the article that they're talking mm -hmm. about. So if it doesn't have a link, I'm not really that interested in it because it's only about 140 characters of someone's thought. I want something deeper. And so filtering out anything without any links really allows you to do that. Yeah, that was, that was actually one of the more technical, uh, I mean, although not too complex, but one of the more technical uses of, of Twitter um, sorting and tagging. And uh, very, very cool. A lot of people in my community were interested in, in that. I probably should should set something up just uh, so I know. I usually rely on Steve Lunsford to tell me what's important. Uh, <laughs> what to read. There you go. <laughs> and you know what? That's uh, one of the great uh, uses about Twitter, too, is that you know I, I have a bunch of people that I follow and a lot of people that I follow when they put some links out there that I know are going to be things that I'm interested in reading. So it's a great way to find what you do. And I don't actually, I used to read the Globe and Mail online all the time, and I don't want to rip on the on the National Canadian newspaper at all, but... The only time I end up on that site now is if someone tweets something and it happens to be a link there. You know, otherwise, I'm really not going to mainstream media anymore. I'll watch my local television uh, news channel at night, but I'm not really reading the mainstream news anymore. One of the interesting things about uh, Twitter I've, I've found to be very true is even if you're not following someone or you know, you're not tuning in, the content starts to rush by very quickly if you try to read it all. But mm -hmm. just like your... your uh, technical sorting system shows you what's really valuable. I find that something is really important or if something, if there's a contemporary bit of news that, you know, I might want to know about so I know what people are talking about uh, around me, 
uh, it actually filters its way through through that retweeting and sharing mechanism. Oh, I, I usually find out what's going on, uh, you know, even if I take a 10-minute segment of, of what my community is talking about. Absolutely. That's you're it's, you're going to find it, and people are going to uh, – people. I don't know what it is, why people feel compelled to share, but I love that they do because you get all these interesting things, right? Um, and you can rely on them. You really can. Um, and they don't let you down, which is, which is amazing. Um, how about GovLoop North? I wanted to ask you about that. It, it seems like yeah, you are, no, are we're, we're going to okay. be called. Well, I think we're shifting it to GovLoop Canada because there's some talk about we're not the only northern nation, and mm-hmm. you know people are people are really hung up on names. But it, the the name GovLoop North came from a discussion that I've been having on a Google group actually uh, with some with some people out in BC who said, look at the GovLoop model. We need something like this in Canada, and we do. And and because what's happening now is. Um, they're, like I said before, you know, departments and agencies are building their own social media strategies and tools for internal collaboration. We don't have anything across the board. And one of the big things that we talked about in this group uh, from, from British Columbia was that we need something that spans across. You know, we need to be able to invite people from municipalities or provincial and territorial governments or academics who are interested. And so I eventually just kind of said, well, why don't we just move to, to GovLoop and, and do it there anyway and see what happens because um, the duplication you know, why would we want to create a separate network? Let's create this one. And so I think the, we set up the group um, two weeks ago maybe, and there's almost 100 members. And so people are coming. We're kind of talking about how we can use the tool, how we can't, um, how we can educate people like Canadians who are, are uh, worried about, you know, information issues and those types of things because everyone gets really worried as soon as um, we talk about information on American servers but it's a social network like any other. So, you know, if you can use Facebook, you can use GovLoop. And now I want to encourage people to start using the services that are actually on GovLoop. Um, and I've been talking to, to Steve about, um, Steve Ressler, about how we can make it more, feel more uh, like home for Canadians. And I think that that discussion needs to continue to happen. Um, and actually for other countries as well, because I think we can move this much farther. I know I think there's a fairly good um, community of, of, uh, of Australian uh, public servants who are in there as well. And one of the simple things we talked about was simply changing the header, um, you know, on GovLoop, and then maybe doing an IP sniff and say, someone actually in the community brought this up, well, why don't we sniff the IPs and see what country they're coming from? And so the the headers can change based on where you're logging in from. So all of a sudden, GovLoop becomes relevant to you in the country that you're in, right? I think that would be a really interesting way because a lot of people find the Capitol building a little bit standoffish when they're not from the United States. And they go, oh, wait a minute, this is an American network. I don't know if I can be here. But. Yeah, it, it's an interesting um, point, too, about, uh, you know, the folks are using Facebook and Twitter, and then uh, it was part of the discussion around GovLoop uh, kind of going private, even though it wasn't, it wasn't actually an official public effort ever, uh, but mm-hmm. it was run by a public servant on his uh, spare time, and then mm-hmm. it goes to being, a, you know, an officially private, uh, privately run service. And, and people are always oh, our data safe, you know, but yet it's always been on a third-party platform like a Facebook or a Twitter, uh, which is the Ning network, and people are pointing out, well, it has its own terms of service, which I wonder how many of us have actually read. I think that yeah. uh, one of the interesting things, being an early member of GovLoop, is everybody's going, well, is the information safe, you know? So, well, it's safe because everyone knows that anybody could be reading it, and so you're more discreet about what you actually put on. 
or is it in one of the most dangerous places to be talking is, you know, in a hallway or a, a laboratory at, with a colleague and, and somebody could be behind a door or nearby, you know, hearing your conversation. Uh, Absolutely. And, and the fact that they're physically close may mean that, that they actually have an interest in your business. But, Absolutely. Uh, and then you've hey. got definitely, can you know, always concerns about malware and, and uh, making sure your virus protected and, uh, and that's a valid concern as well. Yeah, and I mean, one of the, I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've been traveling, but I'm going to start ask, asking questions on GovLoop and seeing who I can connect with with specific problems that I'm having um, in with the with the jobs that I'm taking on. But um, the, the the real value I think is not in is is in connecting people together, and then people are always worried about you know information sharing, like like you had just said, and so why not just connect and move the conversation into real time? You know, like, okay, so we have these interests, we're working on these things, so let's have a phone call and let's exchange a few emails with our business emails because we can share information more securely there. We don't have to worry as much if we actually go out and meet and we have something else. So it's a really good place to set things up um, where people can get together uh, and start to use these tools to, to share and connect with one another. I think there's a real desire to bring people together around a lot of these issues and no one really knew where to go before. Um, and I'm yeah, ab- Absolutely. I, you know, and I think that it's, it's funny because I know that uh, I found out originally about GovLoop through uh, the Government 2.0 group on LinkedIn, which yeah. wasn't particularly active, uh, but, it, but it was active enough that I found Steve and found out about what he was doing. And then, you know, it's kind of become a default space for people really uh, doing some pretty serious networking, although Twitter is, is actually a fabulous place for networking. It's kind of Twitter is one level and then GovLoop's another and then, meeting in person or email exchanges or getting on the phone is another. Um, I have a question coming um, from Twitter from uh, Tariq Paracha, I believe. Maybe a friend of yours or maybe just a Twitter friend. And his question No, I I, I, I know Tariq. (laughs) Okay, he's got a good question uh, for both of us, which is uh, what do we think about the transitory nature of the web where you put energy into Twitter and then it's gone? How do we sell using these tools to management when it keeps changing? And I guess I would look at that, and I'll toss the question to you, um, mm-hmm. not only as a question of, you know, Twitter, it may be information getting lost or moving too quickly, but also, you know, a question I've had is in two years, actually a year ago I was thinking in a year will Twitter still be important, and it, and it has been and it probably will continue to be. But every time you have a new technology, you're going, well, shoot, in two years, is this going to be worthwhile or you know, is Second Life going to be a valuable business case uh, mm-hmm. for my business? Uh, you know, especially in government, after it takes me six months to get approved to really work with this, will it still be valuable? What do you, what do you tell managers about that, and what are, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think it's a really uh, difficult question, actually, because for me, I mean, I've, I'm on record as saying I really don't give a damn about a lot of the tools that we use. I care about how we use them. And so my, my, my inclination is to try and convince managers that these are the important behaviors, and it just so happens that these tools align with these behaviors. And once you get the openness and the willingness to kind of get out there and share and use some of these tools, as the tools evolve, I think you're going to get a better kind of culture around the sharing and the using and the openness. And so you've got to stress that. And, I mean, people in communications do this all the time. This is not a new tool. This is us communicating the same thing we were communicating before in just a slightly different way, right? So it's about the business 
portion of it, not about the tools themselves. And if you kind of can focus on the energy around, rather, um, teaching people the proper behaviors, then you're going to find that the tool, people will adopt the tools naturally. Um, and that's what I've tried to spend a lot of time with because the minute that you say you say something like, okay, so I'm going to show you how to use Twitter, they go, oh, wait a minute, I don't understand. Well, I'm going to show you how to communicate with a lot of people really in a really quick way. You know, It just so happens that Twitter is one way to do that. But there's probably other ways as well. And, and uh, how about this element of, of things getting maybe lost quickly? Do you do any archiving? Or I know that for myself, one of the things I think is important is actually blogging about key ideas because it kind of locks it down. And uh, I like how your blog has, you know, actually has a ranking, you can tell. And I guess mine does too on WordPress. It's not quite as fancy, but yeah. you can see what's important to folks, what are the most popular posts. Uh, how do you keep things from being lost in the in the noise of, of social media or, yeah, or no, absolutely. That's a great part of the question too. And for me, I'm actually a little bit disappointed that things seem to disappear randomly off of Twitter. I was actually using it as a knowledge management strategy. You know, I was tweeting things and I said, oh, I could go back and get these no problem, and then they would disappear. And for me, I think the blog has been the central point. And I mean, I don't know if a blog is for everyone, but I mean, if you're doing any kind of research project or anything like that and you want to keep things together, um, you know, writing a blog entry with, link, with hyperlinks back to the, to the resources you were talking about is a great way to do it. And for me, I actually, when I'm writing business or briefing notes, rather, in my substantive role inside the government, I actually go back and search my blog quite often because there are things, there's pieces of insight that I've had there that I can now bring into my substantive role. And oh wait, there's all kinds of links and resources too that I can do. And the other thing is like a social bookmarking service uh, like Delicious or something like that that you can quickly save something to and then go back and search for relevant uh, articles later. But uh, for me, the blog has been great. And I would say if anyone is, uh, is an academic or a public servant, they can start a blog. They don't even have to make it public. Right? You can start a closed blog that you're just using to manage your information. I think that's great. There's actually a lot more value in opening it up within your organization uh, to allow other people to read it and catch on to your research, but uh, starting with a closed one is a good way to start. And I just stumbled on something uh, interesting last week uh, about how to kind of get deeper into your Twitter search, which is all you have to do. So I, I just did a search uh, on Google's advanced search on the site uh, twitter.com slash Adriel Hampton, and then I search the tag uh, Gov2O, and I find that Google actually has 620 tweets, whereas if I search that for my name and that tag on Twitter's search site, I'd only get a few days' worth. Oh, that's, uh, that's so that's, that's one way to do it. I, I um, learned that it's a way of, uh, of looking for tweets that are, that are gone, because Google yeah. is pretty good about indexing your, your, your activity. Yeah, another really good way is, well. is to actually grab your own Twitter feed in an RSS. Mm -hmm. so and then, you, yeah, that, you, have a and then you have it all in Google Reader or wherever your reader is, and you can just search Reader, and it's all going to pop up. This is another Absolutely. really good way to do it. Although this is a way you grab the stuff that's already gone and then set up yep. an RSS feed for, for now to the future. Um, the, uh, we just have a, a couple of more, more minutes here. Uh, one interesting thing on the knowledge management front uh, on, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, November 25th, we're going to have a CEO of uh, Yakabod on, and that's a knowledge management kind of software hardware solution for okay. enterprises. And it, it's interesting in that they keep their servers in one, uh, you know, your server central 
so you kind of get your information locked down, but they use all these mm-hmm. social tools to share. So it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, whether you're on a low security platform like uh, Facebook or Twitter or, or mm-hmm. a Ning, uh, and then you can go all the way to, to really lock down your data, but still uh, these kind of collaborative technologies and kind of social networking within enterprises is really uh, a growing industry. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Very, very interesting. I know there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for people who are, are uh, providing those pieces of software, those solutions right now. And, Nick, we've just got uh, less than a minute left. Do you want to um, say anything final? Any? Uh, I wanted to put a shout-out to Generation Shift, which is Andy Krismarek's blog. He had a good post recently about the uh, key components of Government 2.0 leadership. I think that's what you're talking about. It's not about the tools. It's about certain cultural elements. But uh, last word from Nick Carney. Uh, last word from Nick Charney. Wow. Uh, a lot of people are going to tell you that, no, you can't, like I said earlier. And you know what? Don't listen to them. Listen to me. Yes, you can. All right. Thanks, Nick. Uh, really a pleasure to have you. And yeah, anytime, uh, folks Adrian. wanting to connect with uh, Nick can go to uh, at Nick Charney on Twitter uh, or check out the EPSRenewal.ca uh, blog. And uh, always great uh, to have uh, guests from outside of the U.S. on the show. If you're interested uh, in joining us in the future, uh, you can always ping me at Adriel Hampton. And thank you so much for joining us tonight.